will turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 4. We've been going through this, um, this book for some time now, and actually for just a few weeks. It took us like eight years to get through Ephesians, and then we're going through Daniel uh, really quick. But um, different book, uh, different layout. The account of the Hebrews, the Israelites, who, whose kingdom was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, not by any accident of fate, not something that spun out of control, that took God by surprise, but uh, according to God's sovereignty, uh, the, the Babylonians were able to conquer the kingdom of Judah and take with them from Jerusalem uh, many of the prize and the choice young men from that place and to train them up, to, to bring them up in Babylon, 900 miles away from where they uh, grew up. And so we've been tracking this story with uh, the man Daniel and his companions who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though those are their pagan names given to them by the Babylonians. And that's what we know them by. We come today to Daniel chapter 4 in an unusual chapter. Um, that is really um, a letter of sorts from evil King Nebuchadnezzar, at least pagan King Nebuchadnezzar, to his subjects to let them know what God has done in his life. I was in the uh, graveyard the other day. Uh, we, we have one right behind our house, and I was walking in it and saw an inscription there. It said this. You may, may have heard this before, but remember me as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you must be. Prepare for death and follow me. And I saw a story about this same inscription that said that in one gravestone there was a note taped underneath it that said this, to follow you I won't consent until I know which way you went, right? <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar is wanting his subjects and God is wanting us, his people, for all time to know which way things went. Which way did Nebuchadnezzar go uh, in his struggle, in his wrestling match with Almighty God? And we've seen a crazy wrestling match between the two. God sent into the kingdom of Babylon these young men who were prized in Jerusalem who would end up being faithful to God. Nebuchadnezzar may have thought he took them, but in fact, God had sent them there, and now in this mighty pagan kingdom, absent and vacant of any notion of the one true eternal God, there are those who are faithful to him, that he will prosper there, and who will be vocal in influencing that place for the one true and living God. And God has done miracles there, if you remember. You remember the miracle of the dream interpreted. You remember the miracle of the food situation you remember the miracle last week of the fiery furnace. And at each juncture, at the end of each of these episodes, Nebuchadnezzar is uh, confronted with the greatness of God above his gods, above the pagan gods. And he will usually say something like, let it be known to all of you that Daniel's God, or that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the one true God, and everybody should acknowledge him. Yet we come again today to a moment when Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten this again and is continuing to follow his own way. But God intervenes, 
He does something. Nebuchadnezzar writes this letter after it's all said and done. And so you'll see moments here where the king is writing in first person. You'll see moments here when Daniel has written in third person uh, as an editor to this. And then you'll see a return to the king speaking at the end of this. He has another strange dream. And so let's uh, read this together. Not the whole thing. Uh, We're going to skip a little bit uh, for time's sake. But let's uh, start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, these words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today uh, without a good, reliable copy of God's Word. And we have those right on this table uh, for you. Uh, You take that if you need one at no cost to you. Uh, Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. This is a letter. That's who it's to. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Let me start here by saying that's never a good beginning, is it? I mean, uh, at ease in my house, uh, the book of Amos says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. (laughs) There is something about comfort. There's something about ease. There's something about that, that gentle nudging of success that causes us to forget that causes us to turn to ourselves and away from God. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Now this dream, let me explain it to you, was a dream of a giant tree that covered all the earth, that fed the whole earth. It was a powerful, strong tree. It represented Nebuchadnezzar's own kingdom, his own self in a way. How he had grown so prosperous that seemingly all the earth was under his dominion. And that it was his fruitfulness as a, as a, a king, as a potentate, that nourished all the earth. It was cared for by him. And in this dream, the, the, the tree was commanded to be chopped down so that only a stump remained. But the stump did remain. And the stump was fastened in, if you will, with metal bonds. I think iron and bronze are the two metals mentioned I think it represents a fence, maybe, or some sort of security. And the, those who uh, brought the dream to him said, King, this represents you. This is your kingdom. You're going to lose it all, but the stump will, will remain. It will be protected with these uh, bars of iron and bronze, and, and uh, ultimately it will be restored to you. And so he appeals to his sorcerers, and then he finally appeals to Daniel, and we pick up again in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. This is Daniel speaking. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven Periods of time shall pass over you. We don't know how long that is exactly. Some say seven years. Seven is a number of completeness in God's word. So uh, it's an undefined yet complete period of time. Some period of time, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is going to suffer this, uh, this penalty, if you will. 
Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. When you finally, Nebuchadnezzar, come to the point that you acknowledge that heaven rules over you, that this God, the, the, the God of Daniel, the God of the Israelites, is the one true and living God, at that time you'll be restored. That stump of a tree will, will resume its place, right? Once you acknowledge the true God. Therefore, O king, verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. King, this is the dream, and I plead with you now. Stop your ways. Acknowledge God. Stop trampling on the poor and show mercy instead. If you do this, God, there may be a lengthening of your, of your prosperity. God may relent in this as he has done in the past with those who turned to him. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months, a year after the dream. How quickly we forget. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, while the words were still in the king's mouth. It's like he had more to say, right? God just, boom, interrupts. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from, uh, from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. He, got, he was afflicted. He was smitten with, a, you might say, a mental breakdown. Whatever it was, he lost all sanity. He wanted to live outside. This king was a king in name only because otherwise that he was wet with the dew of heaven because that's where he wanted to be all the time. It was a nasty, shocking sentence that was carried out upon him. Verse 34, at the end of the days, he's speaking again in first person, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. We sang that earlier, didn't we? From age to age he stands. And time is in his hands. Uh, your, your dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as, listen to this, don't be insulted. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That's compared to God. Compared to who... 
the greatness of God is of such a scale that everybody in this room is accounted as nothing. If, if we were set next to God, we would seem like nothing. Everybody in the whole world is accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's beyond question, isn't he? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice here, in the, in the passages in the past, every miracle, every time God was just proved, Nebuchadnezzar would make a decree. He would say something, said, let it be known to you all. Right? Now he's using the word I. Something has changed here. It's not a decree that let everybody know that God reigns. He said, I. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is a warning against pride and another assertion that God has his way, that God reigns. And so we're going to look at this together. The sin of pride, the, the peril of pride. Pride is a destructive sin. God speaks in the New Testament. He said, I resist the proud. Your translation may say, I oppose the proud. The sin of pride in the Old Testament caused Moses to strike the rock. Do you remember that? It's the sin of pride. The sin of pride is all over the place in Scripture. Jesus says, if you will humble yourself, you will be exalted. Let God exalt you. He opposes the humble. I mean, he, no, he opposes the prideful, amen? And so uh, he opposes the proud. Can you imagine that? Such a sin that God actively works against it. He resists them. He opposes them. That's not said of any other sin. The, the pride in a man's heart, God opposes. And what pride really is, pride is when we see the blessings and the gifts of God, the work of God, what belongs to him, and we say, no, I'm going to credit that to myself. We look around in your life at the, at the gifts of your family, the gifts of your home, the, the, the things that God has provided for you. Maybe even your church family or whatever it is, you look around and you say, I'm pretty good, aren't I? You know, I earned this. I earned, I'm a hard worker. God says, well, who made you a hard worker? Well, my parents did, you know. They were hard workers. It's genetic. Well, who made them your parents? Well, I, I watched their example. Well, well, who gave you that example? Well, I grew up here. That, God says, it all comes from me. And pride is when we take what God has done and we pat ourselves on the back for it. And this text uh, warns us of the three devastating effects of pride. The first one is this. Pride causes us to deny the purpose of God's blessing. Pride causes us to deny the purpose, the purpose of God's blessings. The purpose of the blessings to, of God is to point us where? To God. The purpose of God's blessings is to point us to him. Nebuchadnezzar was walking on his roof. He looked at all the prosperity of his kingdom. And what did he say? 
It didn't point him to God, did it? He failed again to acknowledge the hand of God as the giver of all those things. He saw that. It was real, but he credited it to himself instead of to God. That's, that's the start of this sin. Pride causes us to deny the purposes of God's blessings. The purposes of his blessings showered in your life are that you might look at them and think, wow, what a God. I was sitting here this morning and just listening to the music and just marveled at the grace, of how, how big the grace of God is. Why are we here today? Why do you love the Lord? Why are we worshiping him? Why am I a pastor of all people? Why am I a pastor? The grace of God is magnificent. His blessings are to point us back to him. Nebuchadnezzar used it in the wrong way. I don't know if you have little boys in your life, but if you put something in the hand of a little boy, for the most part, it becomes a gun of some kind. What I mean by that, we're going to find a way to shoot it. You know, you put a banana, in a little, that's a gun, right? I'm going to shoot you with that banana. When I was a kid, that's how it was. Your mama's hair dryer, yeah, it might be a hair dryer for her, but for you, it's a gun. You're gonna, I have a little stick in my office, a little walking stick somebody made me out of wood, and I carry it around. It just helps me think. I'll fiddle with it and, 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 and twist it and whatever, and before long, even here at the church, even planning a sermon with my thinking stick, guess what? I'm shooting that sucker after a few minutes. It's <laughs> my dad used to get so mad at me uh, because uh, I would take his golf putter, right, out of the garage. If you show a golf putter to any six, seven, eight-year-old boy, we know exactly what that is. It's a rifle, right, and we're going to shoot it. And I would do that, and he'd get so mad for leaving that out in the yard and Rain would fall on it, it would rust. I, I, I took something, I misused it, something of greater value and used it for a lesser purpose. That's what uh, Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. The king sees all of this stuff. Mighty as it is, he, it, it's real, God has done it, but he uses it for the wrong reason. He attributes it to himself. <clears throat> Here's what the Bible says about the reasons for the goodness of God. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's goodness, his kindness, his blessings are meant to lead sinners to where? to repentance, to the grace of God. Psalm 67, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way, that's to God, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Listen, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us, repeated, God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. There is a purpose in the kindness of God. There is a reason that God gives good things, that the produce of the earth comes from him, and that reason is to lead us to repentance and to turn our heart to better know him and to him it is not right to look around to walk and stroll around on our rooftops and survey our lives and say right here 
this is from me. And I want to just pause for a minute and say this speaks to some of the modern cultural controversies that we, we face. If you think about the issue of homosexuality and transgenderism, if I'm saying that right, the, the, those issues are, are those of us, sinners like you and me, who have walked around the rooftops uh, of our lives and we've seen the good gift of God in sexuality. And we've seen the, the rightness of what he has done for humanity in these gifts. And instead of saying glory to God and saying this is a gift from God given to us to be used his way that we may fear him, that we may come to repentance, that we may walk with him, we take it and we possess it as our own. We say look at this here and we do with it whatever we wish. That is the heart of, the sin, of many sins. But when we come to this issue, the, at the base of it is the sin of godless pride to take what is God's and to make it our own. The controversy over gender roles. Listen, God has made men and women equal in worth, in value, in essence. Listen, there's no inequality there but he has differentiated us for many reasons, particularly in the household and in the church of God. This, this is God. He has the right to do this. He does it lovingly so. This is the part of the produce of God, the bounty of God coming to us. And right now, we fuss and we fight about can, can it be this way? Can, can, can this one serve as a pastor? Can this one not serve as a pastor? Listen. Our, our job, our obligation is to listen to what God has said. We go to our rooftop, we look at what he's done. It is not our place to take it into our own treasury, to manipulate it as we want, to listen to a secular world, and to malign what God has given. These are his gifts. Before we just point the, figure, the finger at others, this has to do with old-fashioned, if we can call it that. Old-fashioned sexual sin where the church is nearly as guilty as the rest of the world in saying sex outside of God's ordination of marriage is okay living together before marriage is, is, is something that everybody does in fact it makes a lot of sense that is nothing more even with all our high-mindedness even if, with all of our philosophies excuses our rationalizations that is nothing more just dig on down and you're going to find the sinful seed of pride there. You're going to find some young man, some young woman, who strolled on the rooftop and seen the gifts, the intentions of God, and said, I'm going to make it mine. And I'm going to do it my way. Same is true about Christian giving. Giving to your church financially. So many reasons we don't do that. At the base of it is the sin of pride. All these are controversial, you know. They all sting us a little bit. They're all awkward. You know why they're so awkward? Because they're the very things that we look out from our rooftops and we say, oh, I want that for myself. And it is hard for us to unclench our fists and to give it back to God. It all belongs to him. This is the sin of pride as, at its worst. It's all controversial because our hearts want it so bad. We're just like Nebuchadnezzar in that way. Give God what is his. When is the last time 
the gifts of God in your life drew you closer to him? When is the last time your eyes took in his blessings and turned you in greater measure toward his work and worship? When's the last time that happened toward the heart of God? Are, are, are we giving praise to God for these things? Are we doing them his way? Or are we heaping our successes and strengths into our own treasury, taking credit for them? Or are we putting them and crediting them to God's account? That's the sin we see. Pride causes us to deny the purposes of God. And I'm out of breath, y'all. So <laughs> give, give me just a second. Pride causes us to deny the purposes of God's blessing. He does it for a reason. It's not to do with it what we want. It is to point our eyes to him. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get that. Even though he was warned, that's crazy. Twelve months later, he didn't care. Secondly, pride causes us to deny the source of God's blessing. Pride causes us to deny the source of God's blessing. Nebuchadnezzar had such a dangerous sense of false security in what he possessed, his own achievements, and he had it because he failed to understand they were in reality from God. And so God takes action to teach Nebuchadnezzar to, to draw this into stark contrast for him. He takes away all these things that he valued and that he treasured to remind him that these things come from God and they can just as well be taken away by God. Uh, he, he, he saw what God had done, but he credited the wrong person. The source of the blessings was God. I was at Aldi last week. Uh, and we were just walking around. Erica was shopping, had the shopping cart right behind me, pushing it down the aisle. I came to the beef jerky section at Aldi, which is substantial, by the way. has all kinds of things. And I came there to that beef jerky section and was looking at it. And uh, just being really, really dumb and silly, I, I just made a big gesture. And, yeah, I'll tell you what I did. It's embarrassing. Uh, but... I just said, look at all this, you know, and I, I extended my S, it's even more embarrassing today, uh, to do it in front of you, but I waved my hands around and made this, look, you know, look at this beef jerky, and Erica didn't say anything, I thought, what a snob, you know, and so <laughs> I turned around, and it wasn't Erica, it was another lady. <clears throat> I said, oh, I I'm so sorry, and she laughed awkwardly, and um, called 911 after that so <laughs> she did not do that but one of those moments you just wish you could put your head in the sand uh, and and run away I thought it was Erica but it wasn't and in this case the king man he had a huge mistaken identity didn't he I mean he he saw these things and he wanted to take credit for him but these things come from God and he wouldn't realize it so God said that I'll show you who can take these things away it is the giver of them who can remove them from you that's going to be part of your of your growth here Nebuchadnezzar and he does that <clears throat> to show Nebuchadnezzar that he is the source of all these things we're not above that either we're not Nebuchadnezzar and most of us in here probably have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ we would say you are saved today but listen, Hebrews chapter 12 says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves him. For the Lord disciplines the one he, what, loves, and chastises every son 
whom he received. Now, God would not punish you for this. The punishment for our sins was nailed to the cruel cross of Calvary. Nothing takes that back. But he very well may reach into our lives and withdraw a blessing that we've taken for granted in order to what? Discipline, to chastise us, to bring us further into the image of God. It's a loving hand that does that. But beware of it. God may take something that we claim as our, for our own credit, for our own glory, that it is an actually he who has done it. I'm always sensitive about when we do work around the church as we're doing right now in the worship center. I'm sensitive for my own heart. I'm sensitive for our church's heart because it's going to be pretty probably. It's going to be pretty. We're going to like it. We'll probably be proud of it in some, I hope, healthy way. Proud to see it. Proud for other guests to come and to see it. But I never want us to rely on that as our strength. I don't ever want that to become who we are. Our primary thought of what Poplar Springs is and what our image ought to be should have nothing to do with these things. I would rather worship with you in a muddy ditch than to go back into that place and think that that is our glory and our strength. Let us be so careful personally and corporately to remember that pride causes us to deny the source of God's blessings. Do you find yourself giving attention to the gifts in your life or to the giver of those gifts? Is the glory of your life found in God or in his goodies? Which is it that you relish in? God's blessings are a reminder that the joy and promise of our lives are sourced in him, him alone. Go to God, love God, see the things in your life, look upon them and be grateful, grateful. <clears throat> Let him love you through them. But lastly, Pride causes us to deny the need for God's blessings. It causes us to deny the need for God's blessings. Why this particular punishment? What a strange thing happened. Literally, Nebuchadnezzar <clears throat> kind of lost his mind, had a, a really rudimentary, a, a very basic mind of an animal almost. The things he cared about, the things he wanted, he wandered around outside. I think people cared for him. I think God secured him in that time. But why this particular promise? He is reduced to nothing. He's reduced far beneath what he would have even imagined was possible. God did this to show Nebuchadnezzar how very much of his strength and prosperity is owed to God. If we think about it sometimes, we might think, well, I might fall to a certain baseline. You know, I might lose my money. Yeah, I might lose my status. I might lose this or that. God sometimes wants us to know, no, my blessings go far beyond that. It is only my blessings that hold you up. We can fall far lower than we believe if the hand of God were removed from us. There's a story I love. I've told you this before. It's a uh, fake story, of course. But it says, God was sitting in heaven one day when an expert said to him, God, we don't need you anymore. Man has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, we can now do what you did in the beginning. Oh, is that so? Explain, God replied. Well, says the scientist, we can now take dirt and form it and breathe life into it, thus creating man like you did. Well, that's very interesting. Show me. So the expert, sure enough, bends down to the earth and, and begins to fashion and mold the soil 
into the shape of a man. It, it's, it's perfect. God says, no, no, no. And I says, what's wrong? And he says, you get your own dirt. Have you heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot in that, really. A lot of um, apologetics in that just simple little statement. We take for granted some things that we just forget that God has done. That he made the dirt, for instance. We take for granted that the security that we have in our jobs and that the blessing of our kids, that the joys of life, that, that the privileges of living in a free society, they're so, I can't, I can't even encapsulate it here. We take for granted. We forget that that also is the hand of God. We forget that it is the blessing hand of God that upholds us in every way. We, if you're a king, you think, well, I could probably fall to be a peasant you would never think you could fall to be an animal. We need to remember God's blessings go that deep. They go that low. There's nothing apart from him. We are very small compared to God. That's why this verse says all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. Listen to this from Job. Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. Now, we're not probably going to print that on a T-shirt and go out, right? <laughs> but that's true. Isaiah 41, fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. Jacob was a hero of the faith. God loved him dearly. God used him. His, his other name is Israel. He's the namesake of God's people. If he's a worm, then we're all worms. In fact, if he's a worm, we're probably the maggots that it's talking about. Isaiah 41, 14, and then Isaiah 6, 5, 4 and 5, listen to this. The vision of Isaiah in the presence of God and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe to me, for I am ruined. Your Bible might say, for I am undone, for I am lost. Woe to me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There in the presence of God in his bigness, Isaiah doesn't stand up and, and give a whoop, right? I mean, he's broken. He's shattered in that moment. I am ruined. We are small. We can fall far. What do you imagine yourself to be absent from the hand of God? That's pride. Whatever it is, whatever you imagine there, it is actually much worse than you actually are. It is only by the gracious and giving hand of God that we have or are anything of any remote good that is why our relationship with god is to be such a cause for unrestrained joy in life when is the last time you you looked around and surveyed the blessed hand of god and just went out in joy in freedom knowing that he's the one who blesses you you i need god's blessing nebuchadnezzar totally forgot that I love the change in verse 37 from third person to first person. 
it went from y'all should worship God to, oh, I worship God. God is still just like he was in that day. His purpose is the same as it was with Nebuchadnezzar, to turn men and women, to turn our hearts to the fullness of joy in the glory of who he is. Maybe he needs to do that with you this morning. Maybe you're not saved and you need God to, God to reach in and turn you toward him. It's not about you, it's about God. He knows how to do it. He gave his son on a cross for you. But maybe today you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You know you are. That is settled. But you need the Lord God like you did to that king to reach into you and, say, and to cause you to lift your eyes back to heaven. I've been living for self. My pride and my strength have been in myself. Uh, the stresses of my life are in the pursuit of self. I'm miserable because of this. Why don't you just let God turn your eyes toward him? Remember his blessings. Forsake your pride. By the end of this experience, Nebuchadnezzar is, is testifying that all glory is God's glory. All good is God's good. All salvation is God's salvation. It all belongs to God. And if this evil king can do that, then can't you and I walk out of here and live that way? Let us do it. If he did it, then those of us who've seen the bloody cross of the blessed Lord Jesus, surely we can do the same. Whatever other strength you placed your trust in, whatever else has your worship, your attention, your glory today, give it back to, back to God, and let's walk from here in the light of his goodness. Amen? Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I would like to offer you a chance to respond to what you've heard today. Maybe there's been something in the time of worship Maybe something before you even came here. You've just known for a long time. You've got to do business with God. Man, how long can it go? How long can you live this way? Maybe today the word of God has spoken to you and you want to come to be saved for the very first time. We're not going to make fun of you. We're going to stand with you and celebrate with you, rejoice with you. Maybe you need to come for baptism or church membership or maybe just to pray. Maybe you just need to tell God something. God, I've been looking to my own life. I've been living for me. All my thoughts, all my glory, everything, God. Oh, Lord, I want to know you better than that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We're trusting it to us. I pray it will have made a difference today. Seen or unseen, Lord, I pray that your word will have spoken and moved someone's life. That will be made different because of what you've shown us here today because of how good you are, because of the blessings we don't deserve that you've showered on us. Oh, God, forgive us. We have such a tendency, every one of us, to see these things and to take glory and credit for it for ourselves. Father, please spare us, please love us, and please change us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing as we do. Why don't you